Welcome to the Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host, and I'm also the editor of my blog of the same name, The Randy Report, which you can find every single day online at therandyreport.com, where I cover politics, entertainment, and pop culture of interest to the LGBT community and everybody else. I'm really excited about tonight's show because I am talking to one of my favorite bloggers and authors, Matthew Rettenmund. This year, he has released two books, one, Encyclopedia Madonica 2.0, 2.0 because he wrote the original Encyclopedia Madonica 20 years ago. This is an updated version, which includes the past 20 years of her career, life, music, and everything in between. It is literally the book on Madonna. And his second book he shared with us this year is called Starfucker. That's the name. Put the asterisks in if you want. And Starfucker documents Rettenman's affection, in the case of Madonna, okay, it's pure mania, for movie, television, and music personalities. From his years as a star-obsessed gaby to his contradictory careers in porn and as a teen magazine editor, names will be named, Rettenman details and deconstructs his and our passion for celebrity. Now, this is normally where I would play a song that related to the show tonight because I like a little music to get the mood. But my first thought was, oh, well, it's the holidays. And we're talking about Madonna. One plus one equals two. Oh, I'll play Madonna's Holiday. But I don't want to get sued, so I'm not going to do that. But then I thought, Madonna is the queen of reinvention, so what about a reinvented version of Holiday? And I remember that one of my favorite bands, Capital Cities, you can find their music online at capitalcitiesmusic.com, did a terrific cover version of Holiday just a couple of years ago. So I'm going to play a little bit of that. I hope the guys at Capital Cities won't sue me since I'm plugging them right here, capitalcitiesmusic.com. And then we're going to talk to Matthew Rettenmund about his two books this year, Encyclopedia Madonica 2.0 and Starfucker. But here's a little music to get the holiday season going. This is Matthew. How's, how's it going? Well, thank you for taking the time to do this interview. I'm so excited about this. I've been reading the book. I haven't put it down. I kept reading, knowing you're a bit of a fan of Madonna's. Uh, she's okay. She's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I kept waiting. Where is the Madonna chapter going to be? Where is the Madonna chapter going to be? And then, obviously, at the end of the book, you actually share with us where, where all this is. But, uh, and obviously, you've done Encyclopedia Madonica, so there's there's a whole book to relate to that but i i kept waiting for all of the madonna stuff and so i was well, i made her i literally i made her literally the be all end all of the book you did you did as a blogger myself with the randy report 
And I'm always aware of the people out there that I admire, that I read every day. The whole blogging thing is of interest to me, and you actually have a great chapter in your book, Starfucker. Can I say it out loud? Of course I can. It's my radio show, Starfucker, which I love. (laughs) It's interesting because you did talk about blogging and and some of the challenges that that are in there. And every now and then I think about so many of us that I think – you know, we're kind of aware of each other to a degree and in, in different, like, uh, especially you and Joe Jervis at Joe My God and Andy Toll at Toll Road and uh, Kenneth at Kenneth in the 212 and so many things out there. And I always wonder what other people think about the whole thing of blogging and the business of it or the the sussing out of what you do and don't post. And there's some things that some of us do post. And there, there are a few things that come up I find that we all post, like like this 10% of like important news that you can invo- uh, avoid. It is interesting to see us all have our different personalities out there. Yeah, and also like when you're blogging, even if your blog is basically an aggregation blog, like if you're just aggregating other stories and not doing any kind of writing yourself, there's still a way to have you know, a very strong personality because it's, it's, what, it's in what you choose. It's in how you curate all the possible things you can put on there. So that kind of decides how personal the blog is as opposed to how far-reaching it, it tries to be. And, and then it, that leads to, like, who's reading you and what their response is going to be, too. But it is amazing how different – because, like, I get along really well with all the – you know, the, the, the local bloggers and all, basically every blogger I've ever met, we, we have some lots in common, but whatever our blogs have in common, they're also very different. And they, right. I think each one has something that's a little different to offer. And I think that's the fun part about it is, for me, because I'm sure you do the exact same thing, I'm, I'm at my computer, you know, nine hours a day. And there are things that I see out there that some people cover and I go, oh, that's really not me. And, or I get, you know, tons of press releases like you do. And there are things that uh, – it's always funny to me two things about the press releases. One, when, when someone clearly has no idea what my blog is about, and it's, right. it has literally nothing to do with anything LGBT. Like or they, LG- <laughs> right, they represent like beautiful female models, and they yeah. want you to like use them in a story that you're, you're – an editorial you're putting together. <laughs> or, or vacuum cleaners. <laughs> right, well, or vacuum cleaners, you know. <laughs> But it's interesting that, that every, you know, things will come by me and I'm like, eh, that doesn't resonate with me. And it's really, it's kind of what makes us all kind of our individual chefs in a kitchen because like that one 20% or so that, you know, we feel that we have to mention something about it, but also the way we do it. Because I love your news roundups and you do touch on politics. Politics isn't your biggest thing for you, but you do make a point of, of calling politicians out and you name names and point fingers when it's something rather large that, that you feel passionate about. And then there, there are other people that, you know, it, it is their thing. Like Andy Toll has probably a big thing about him for his politics, and, and I know Joe Jervis, the same thing. But there are things that I look at and go, mm, that's not important to me, or that's not my thing. Or All right. Well, you kind of have to decide that. It's, it, is, it is a challenge. Um, there's only so many hours and minutes and seconds in a right. day. And one thing I always find funny about blogging is sometimes you know when you have something that's going to, take mm-hmm. off in some way. Uh, other times you think, oh, yeah, this is going to be, I think this might do well, I and mean, then it doesn't. But what really I find so amusing is when I put up something at the last second as filler, and it ends up being the biggest thing in months. I was know? going to yeah. ask you about that very specific thing, because I know I deal with, not that this interview is about me, but I'm relate because once we're talking about blogs, I'll just like, like coexist with you here. That is a funny thing that most people don't see. And you, you see those 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 blog hits that like on a daily basis, your readers don't know, but on a daily basis, like the same one is getting hundreds of hits, you know, a year later, two years later, three years later. I have 
I have three or four blog hits it every day, every week. I'm like, people are still searching for that. Are they really? What's I mean, like the one that blew my mind a couple of years ago was when I posted. You know, at that time I used to do a lot more where I would look at all the the tabloids because I would get. I mean, in New York, we get them on Wednesday, and that's more. That's faster than most of the country. So right. with the printed tabloids, so I would read them for anything that seemed kind of gay related or interesting or wacky, and then I would I would do a little scan of part of an article and link back to them. And I remember there was one I did. I was going on a trip, a business trip, and there was an article about like Zac Efron was spotted holding hands with a guy, mm-hmm. and they had they had really stressed the with a guy part. So I scanned that headline and I put it in. I left, and then I was waiting in this driving rainstorm to get back to New York. And I, I turned on my phone and I, I was I just randomly I checked my hits for the day, which I don't usually do when I'm traveling, and I had this astronomical number that was mm-hmm. just far above anything I'd ever had before. And I thought, well, this has got to be a mistake. And then I looked, and it was that. And somehow that had been picked up on social media. No one had put it up there yet. And everybody was very interested in the concept of Zac Efron holding a guy's hand. Isn't that interesting? So who knew? I had that recently happen with the Holland Taylor coming out. Yeah. And I guess I kind of posted a little earlier than other people did because it was still on, like, the local radio level. And I woke up in, like, tens of thousands of hits the next morning. I'm like, really? Like, Wow, I, it's just, they surprise you, these things. It really does. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about Starfucker. I, I love the book because I do want to get to first and foremost, and I think it's the thing that stands out in this book more than anything is, and you've got to be proud of it. You do express a little pride in it. Your turn of phrase. Oh, thank you. Gee, that makes me feel good. No, I'm just kidding. No, it, it, <laughs> like I say it in the worst possible way. Uh, <laughs> it, you really, and I've noticed, you know, I've read you for years uh, on boyculture.com, and I, I knew, you, I, like, you're really great with writing the headline, and, and you have a great way of pulling in a double entendre and things, but literally throughout the entire book, you have these great turns of phrases that every paragraph, there's something very interesting in the way you say something, and at one point, on page 76, you mentioned, I was already very much in love with words and my agility with them, wordplay was my foreplay. And I thought, first of all, the fact that you knew it, which is a good thing. I don't, I don't go, ooh, boo on you for like, being conceited. I go, wow, that you were, <laughs> as a child, you were aware that you had uh, an interesting relationship with words. I think that's great. Well, I thank you for saying that. I, I, I do think that like, when I was a kid, I liked to write, and I didn't understand. There were a lot of other people that would say that they had a hard time writing. They didn't know how to write. And to me, it just felt like it was easy. It was an easy thing to do. It can become too easy. You know, you can get a little lazy. But um, I really liked it. I think because I was fascinated from an early age with what words meant and, and the different shades and tones, things that are not in the dictionary. Mm-hmm. You know, about like what each word means and how you put them together. And mm-hmm. I was always really excited when I read something that was expressed in a slightly different way or a funny way. I like those kinds, that kind of humor better than just, I mean, I like dumb humor too, but I like, I like using kind of humor that challenges people to be articulate and to understand the difference. And, and that's also what it gets me into trouble on my blog when I do blog, because like, especially when I write things politically, I, I do call people out for saying things based on what I'm, I think they're meaning, because to me, words matter. I mean, words matter a lot. You can't just state something that may, may be factually true and then not also wonder, well, why did you say it that way? Why are you saying it in this moment? Like, all these things matter, and they all kind of mean something. So I guess communication is really important to me, and I, and I like to communicate with people who are, are like-minded, and the best way to do it 
is to try to put something out there that you think is going to attract people that are like-minded. That's kind of why I've always been into like the double entendres, triple entendres. <laughs> There's no end to how many entendres there can be. And you knew that from an early age, right? Like people responded to your writing. Yes, I definitely, um, I mean, I think as soon as I, I published something that was, that was national, I did start to get, I did start to get that praise, and, and, it, and it was important to me to get that. And I think that that's part of what led me into blogging was because I wasn't writing books at the time. I didn't have an idea for a book, uh, but I really wanted to get my thoughts and ideas out there. And I sort of used blogging as a way to really keep my writing agile and in top form. It can also be a negative thing because then you can get, as I found, <laughs> you can get so caught up in it that you don't have time to do other things that might be a little more substantial because it's right. as as um, impactful as I hope my blog is and how many people I think will will read it and enjoy it and maybe learn something or maybe I'll learn something from them, it's still, it's, it's kind of ephemeral. I mean, it's been around for 10 years and the posts exist somewhere, but you know, as you know, like old posts for the most part, except for the ones we talked about that kind of go viral and never right. die, most of them are never looked at again. Right. And you've, you, know, you spend a lot of time on some of those. Some of the ones that are kind of meaty, you spend some time, mm-hmm. and they might be relevant for a day or two. So it's a little different for, for a book which can live on for a long time. I mean, the first book I ever published stayed in print. It's still in print. Right. And it's been 20 years. So, you know, that, that's possible. There are other cases of books that I wrote that didn't stay in print for 20 years. But I just feel like there is, you have to kind of, you do have to measure how much time and how much energy you're putting into something, whether it's online or in, in print form, and just to decide, like, is it worth your time? Is it worth your energy? It's interesting you say that because I, let me skip back to the blog. for You know, when I first called you, I should tell the, the, the radio audience, you know, I first reached out to Matt to do this because I just launched the online radio show companion to the Randy Report, now called the Randy Report. And I immediately thought, who are people that I'd want to talk to? Who are people that I find interesting and blah, blah, blah. So I reached out to Matt. We've never met, but I've been reading you forever. We were going to talk a few days ago, and I knew you have different things going on. And suddenly on Monday, I saw that you have Starfucker out and it's it's new and available and and we're going to have a link to it here on the webpage for the radio show and sell it bye 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 buy support <laughs> but I said well I, I have to read this I'd feel stupid if I didn't read this before I spoke to you and so your publicist sent me over a, a copy and I, I've been reading through it it was fascinating and I originally though wanted to talk to you about boyculture.com and, and doing all that. So I'm going to flip back and forth because you just touched on something that, that does impact it. It's of interest to me because the, the thing about blogging, I think most people probably start off blogging because it's about writing. I know for me it did. I was kind of inspired to start blogging because I read Joe My God every day, um, mm-hmm. Joe Jervis. And, and I'm sure you know that like Joe started out writing when blogging first started about when you first started boy culture. It was really about writing, more about authorship, a little bit more. And, and today, it's kind of, it's kind of all shifted for for most leading LGBT bloggers into a bit of curating and aggregating. Aggregating. And it's true. I mean, part of it is you do run out of things to say. I mean, you're not going to be able to write something that fits into a blog post. I don't think anyway. Every single day. No. And I no. think I think that we all kind of get. I mean, and I'm not questioning anyone's motives because, like, I think Toll Road is kind of like the gay blog of record, and I think, you know, Joe's blog is kind of like the gay political blog of record. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I think we all do get to this point where you start seeing what kind of reaction you're getting and what kind of hits you're getting, 
and you are going to start tailoring it a little yeah. bit. You're going to start saying, oh, okay, so sexy stuff gets hits. Yeah. I mean, the, the news feed you told me about that, I, that takes me forever. I mean, that's such a pain to, to, to put together. And it's probably stupid for me to do it because what I'm really doing is I'm spending a lot of time to find ways of sending people to other blogs or to other sources. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but in so doing, I'm, I'm hope, hopeful that they're going to keep coming back to me to see like what my take is. But what's interesting about it is I look at, I now have each one of those links, I have ways of you know, seeing which each link is, outgoing link is getting the most hits. And while there are certain gay-related topics that get a lot of hits, the political stuff gets fewer hits, even though it gets more feedback. Anything that at all sounds like it's been elsewhere gets less hits. But anything that's sexy, they will fare it out. So, and I mix mine up. Like I try to deliberately, like I'll usually lead, like the very top thing will usually be something right. pretty important. Uh, but sometimes you'll be going through and there'll be something really kind of serious. And then the next one will be like, here's a picture of, of a guy's cute ass. Mm-hmm. And then the next one will be another political thing. So right. kind of, I really bury it to test and see. And sure enough, people will read through there and they will, they always ferret out those things that are kind of sexier, whether literally sexier or just kind of more fun, you know, kind of, you know, more topical. So it is, it's very interesting to me, like what people will, will choose. But I do think that, I mean, there are times when I think, oh, I'm not going to post this. Everybody's got it. But if it's something that's kind of hot and I do post it, invariably it gets tons yeah, of hits. So it does. it does kind of lead us over into, you know, other territory from what we started with. You know, my husband, Michael, uh, who's a publicist, and you guys have worked on different things in the past. Michael tells me all the time, he goes, you know, I know you really, Randy, I know you love the political stuff, but I'm sure your readers go for the sexy stuff first. And and it is true. I, I agree with you completely. Uh, for the Randy Report, it's the exact same thing. I will be passionate about those things, but me being passionate about it doesn't necessarily translate into readers necessarily being <laughs> passionate about it. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? It's not like it's none of it hits, but it's a lot easier to hit with something sexy or fun or humorous. You know, humorous is, is, is good too, but you have to be quick. And, you know, it's also hard when, like, you know, I have a day job, and I've always had a job. I've, I even had a much more complicated day job in, when I first started this. And, you know, t- you really have to, to realize, you know, you're competing with other blogs that some of the bloggers don't have day jobs. Like some of them are actually able to, which is it's rare, but some of them are actually able to support themselves from the proceeds of their blogs. And so it becomes even more of a question of like, well, what am I putting up? And then, and then I think it even pushes you even more into like putting up things that are very popular. Um, but also things change. I mean, you know, when I first started blogging, I, my, my, my blog posts were ridiculous. I had like 3000 word posts, Right. you know, I was just dying to have an outlet. So I just, I, I literally had 3000 word posts and I still have crazy posts sometimes, but you know, people like lists. Lists became a big thing when BuzzFeed was born. Yes. Uh, whenever I do a list, it gets lots of shares. Anything naked. <laughs> anything, <laughs> anything that pretends to be naked, semi-naked. <laughs> but Google doesn't like that, you know. <laughs> well, it's interesting because the, re- the reason I, I even bring up the whole thing about the blogging in is that I like writing. I do like writing, and I think you like writing. But the, what, the thing that you pointed out is it takes so much time, mm-hmm. and then you post it, and when – I hate to say it, but when – the numbers aren't there and you go, wow, I put so much time into that. And I was really thinking about what I was communicating here and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, Ugh. and so I still do it. I personally do it on occasion because it, it is the thing yeah, that I'm passionate about. But, but to keep, you know, the blog going, you, you have to go where, uh, 
where your readers are, basically. And I would like to probably, and I will at some point change or branch out or end the blog. Something will happen, will, will be different. I mean, whenever I do work for other blogs, I, I do a lot of work for outside blogs, like entertainment blogs. It is a different mindset. You know, once, once you know that the, the blog has a very specific focus and you really know what you're looking for to fill it, it's, it's much, more, um, much more of a job. I mean, there's no less art to it, but I mean, it's definitely much more defined. And it's interesting to approach it that way because like, when I'm doing my blog, it's kind of like I feel like I'm, I'm actually feel like I'm painting. You know, uh -huh, like I'm uh -huh. sitting at an empty canvas and I can paint a dog today or I can do a nude or I can paint something abstract. Whereas when I'm working for an entertainment, like a popular entertainment blog, I know that I have to look for very specific things. It's going to be a Kardashian story. It's going to be someone died. It's going to be someone got married. It's going to be someone had a baby. Here's a baby bump. You know, like, you know, like the very specific things to look for. So I probably will move into something that's more into that, that arena, like that kind of thing where it's more, spe more specific, mm -hmm. but I don't know. It will be either that or I'll have to end it at some point because I, I really think it's some point you have to move on. I mean, you can't just keep going with the same kind of medium and the same project for forever. You know? And I do, and I did, you know, make time over the past year and a half to work on these two books and I was able to, to produce two books. So if you take some time off, I found I was, I was able to actually do some other productive things aside from just sitting glued to my chair. <laughs> yeah. Let me go back to Starfucker because I, I, I made some, some notes as I was reading. It was interesting. I kept thinking, oh, oh, Matt's going to sit there and listen to me talk, and he's going to be like, oh, you didn't like saying anything interesting. It's so interesting how when we interview someone, we think about what they think on the other side. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I've been I, there. I mean, I interviewed kids forever, like for a teen magazine that I worked for. And, you always wonder what's going through their head. Like, wow, oh, that's an original thought, or oh, this. Uh, someone, oh, I recently was talking to Jeremy Kinzer, who I know you know very well. Oh, yeah. We met up in L.A., and we were both talking about the idea of who is your dream interview. And I said, well, there's some people I'd want to interview, but I wouldn't because I wouldn't want them to think I was stupid for not asking interesting questions because, and of course, I'm not being uh, disrespectful to your queen. I know Madonna recently in her series of, of interviews for this new album – she she kind of like judged people on on their interviews. She's like, oh, oh yeah, the dumb. the whole drinking game, right? Yeah, drinking game. Yeah, that was a dumb question. You, yeah, you have to drink now because you know. And I would hate to interview someone that I respected so much and have them go, wow, that was a dumb question. Wow, you're not very good. Well, at least she did it humorously because she did. I, I, but I but I totally know what you mean. Like you worry that they're going to be that you're going to get a have a make a bad impression or that they're going to seem unimpressed. But I mean, I feel like I've interviewed so many people now too that. I just kind of I know that they're in they're in a mode of of just answering questions and not me I mean because I'm not doing that that many interviews but when people are promoting things they're just kind of on a mm -hmm. on a hamster wheel and they won't even remember it you know <laughs> and that's, that's just one way to think about it it's like unless you really screw up or just happen to ask them the ultimate question and they're right. really into you they're never going to remember it I mean some of these kids I interviewed when I worked for the the teen magazine some of them. I had great relationships with, like, you know, we worked together a lot. I put, sometimes I did photo shoots with them, put them on our cover. Sometimes I was the first person to put them in a magazine. Mm -hmm. And some of them I, I would see years later and they'd be, draw a blank. <laughs> like, I'd have to really walk them through, like, how we knew each other because I wanted to say hello because half of them were, like, super great and they remembered everything and they were super nice. And uh -huh. Some of the bigger ones even. But, but some of the other ones, they don't remember. So I kind of don't stress out anymore about interviews. There's always a little bit of a stress, especially if you have to meet someone in person. It's like I had to go, I had to go interview Tab Hunter recently for his documentary. Yes, yes. And I had actually met him before, but I was still kind of like, 
what is this going to be like? Is he going to be prickly? And he's a little more conservative than I am. Is he going to not want to talk about gay stuff? You know, mm-hmm. but it was great. You know, so I, I think I think the best approach is just to fire away and hope that they're not having a bad day. <laughs> you did mention in the book at one point talking about working on the teen magazine being at launch parties or something and and doing uh, being there with other editors or interviewers and you would talk about coming up with the question so that you'd get the answer maybe the one thing True. that would like set you up aside from your competitors would it would you take time to to think about gosh what can i ask that they haven't I did because I was, I mean, I founded the magazine, but I did, I did do a lot of the interviews, although in the later years, um, the, the editors, the other editors did. Um, but I, I did like to do that because I, I figured I was kind of well-rounded individual and, and I really, I like to kind of look at the bigger picture, like, well, what's interesting about this person? Why do these kids find this person fascinating? What are some things that somebody else might not ask? And we also, we, we also did a little mind game where, even though we had a very, you know, bubblegum, teeny bopper magazine, we were we prided ourselves on not being the ones to ask the stupidest of the stupid questions. So we wouldn't we, we didn't want to ask like the the most basic questions. We'd let those be asked by someone else, and we would try to come up with something a little different. To, because you know, if someone if you're asking someone a question, whether they're a teenage you know wannabe star or somebody who's already very established or someone you're intimidated by intellectually, which happens a lot too, um, if you hit that one question that they find so insightful, it's not only going to lead to a good interview, it might lead to even better stuff later on. It might lead to better interviews. It might right. lead to better access. And that was the thing about, you know, working in that in the magazine industry that was so, um, that was just kind of underscored no matter what you were doing was access, access, access. I mean, it really, and I think it can be a, a negative thing. It, it, it definitely dictates what questions you ask when and how you ah. behave toward people, what kinds of things you'll, what kind of pictures you'll publish. I mean, it, it really dictates everything. And that's why I think, you know, with a lot of the celebrity tabloids and, and, and websites that are out now, um, there is kind of a, there's a, there's a real shakiness there about, like, how objective they are. Because if you, if you just have a gossip site and you're not even looking to be malicious, but if you publish something that maybe Sandra Bullock doesn't like, you might not get her the next time. And her publicist might say, not only are you not going to get her, but you're not going to get my other clients. Right. So there is that sort of tail wagging the dog aspect that was very much present even, even when we were writing for little girls. And so. you did experience that? That, that Would publicists really like, would they literally say that or would they just do it and not articulate, you know, the reason why I'm not giving you access is because blah, blah, blah. Well, let's put it this way. They, they never would call you and say, say it directly, but it was, it was heavily implied. Mm-hmm. It was heavily implied. And I did have a shoot that was once that was killed because this, this entertainment network didn't like, they didn't like the vibe that right. was present, you know, from the, the actor. Zach Efron? Yes, it was. Right. <laughs> they didn't like the vibe. Because it was a and little too gay. It was, in my opinion, that was exactly what they were saying, was that they felt it was gay. They definitely also thought it was, um, they didn't like the fact that he was shirtless, which now is a joke because right. t- 10 minutes Instagram. later, he was, he was almost naked, you know, every time, every chance he gets. Right. But the time they didn't like it, and, and I felt that it was very um, self-serving because they were sort of, they were making it seem like, oh, the photographer who did, it wasn't even a shoot for me, it was a shoot that I ended up buying, but the photographer who did the shoot, 
they sort of made it seem like, oh, well, he didn't really know what he was doing. You know, he was kind of a newcomer at the time. He was 18, but he was still kind of like new to it all. So they felt that he was kind of tricked into it, which was not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so they sort of tried to make us feel like we were taking advantage of him. What they were really doing was kind of looking out for him by saying, like, look, don't give away your shirtless pictures until you get Rolling Stone. You know, that's what it's about. Like, that's what it, it's more about, like, saving the good stuff for the, the bigger, higher level publications. So, did that ever so bother if, you? So if I had, well, yeah, in that case, I've never gotten over because it pissed me off because I would have had this amazing photo shoot that would have been iconic and would have gone everywhere, and you'd still be seeing it floating around the internet. I had to make the decision. I could have, I could have. You could actually, have run I, didn't, it. I couldn't have run it actually because the, I could have, but it would have been a, troublesome because what happened was they, they got the photographer involved too. And she also wanted to continue working for all these people in Hollywood. So mm-hmm. she didn't really want me to go through it either. So I didn't like that because I, I did feel like it was kind of meddlesome. And then it happened again later when, uh, also with Zach, and none of this had to do with him, by the way. I don't think he would even had any, have any clue that these conversations were happening. He was always so nice. Um, but later I also had a, a call from a, a publicist who was like, I can't believe you're going to publish these photos of him and Vanessa in Hawaii. They're too racy. They're making out, you know, and I just told, but that one I shut down because I said, look, you know, this was in public. Right. They did it in public, right. clearly knew they were being photographed. He had to know it. They're both of age. I think clearly they wanted this little kind of growing up moment, you know, in front of the cameras. They wanted those pictures out there. And I said, you know, then the fact of the matter is if I didn't publish it, one of the other people bidding on it would have. So I'm sorry, but I'm going to publish this. And they're not that racy. We're not going to publish the ones that, you know, are a little too racy. We're going to publish all the others. And I'm glad I did it because it didn't really affect my relationship with anyone. And, you know, that was like our best year. We sold so many copies of the magazine in part because of the pictures of Zac Efron. There was a point where you had to say, like, look, you know, this is unfair for you to try to control this. And I think they got that, you know. Mm-hmm. The other shoot was very, was something they could, that they had a much easier um, way of limiting it than this one. This one, if I said, oh, I'll respect you and I won't publish it, they knew it was going out anyway. It was already going to be on every every website, right. you know, within minutes after. Yeah, after the embargo ended, it was going to be out there anyway, so. But it was interesting. It was I liked that sort of, it was kind of a fun sociological thing too, a psychological thing to be working with with um, actors and publicists and TV networks and movie studios and, and publishers that you have to work with on your side. You know, I liked all that sort of juggling. Well, one of the things I, I thought was interesting in the book, Starfucker, available now, is uh, – <laughs> I love plugging everything. <laughs> sell, sell, sell. Buy, buy, buy. Support. Um, you mentioned one of the things, and I, I'm surprised at this because especially when someone is up and coming, but it kind of happened – almost out of your grasp, as you describe it in the book, the, the Justin Bieber thing, you admit that you feel like you were maybe two months a little late, or his team told you you were. And because he was kind of discovered online, it, it was where online kind of became more important than magazines or something. Mm-hmm. Am I kind of... True. I mean, he was the beginning of that because, um, you know, there had been some other people that were big online, and we would get a lot of hits on, in those days, MySpace and other sites... <laughs> And so you, we would monitor people those that way, and sometimes we'd go too early with someone, and then you feel stupid because you have someone who no one cares about <laughs> in the magazine. Um, but with him, we weren't that late at all. We were maybe, like I said in the book, I think like two months late. And I thought it was hilarious that like when he finally came in to meet us, finally, you know, two months later, he's still like nobody, you know, into the greater world, mm-hmm. and yet he's huge online, and every little girl knows who he is. 
you know, there was already an air of like he was royalty. It was ridiculous. It was like already, you know, already we have to be made, we were being made to feel grateful that he's deigning to like doing coverage with us. And his mom was, who was perfectly nice, but she kind of mentioned something about like, oh, you guys were a little later than some of the other bands, <laughs> which wow. is rare, which is rare because actually the, we were known for being way early, if anything, because we like to try people out. Yeah. We, we had Zac Efron basically... I mean, we had him so far back, it was basically a picture of his parents dating. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we really were, it was far back. But with, with Justin, we were hair late, and she actually mentioned it. I was thinking, like, oh, my gosh, really? Uh, and he was a little cocky, cocky little guy then. He did his first shoot with us. I wasn't at that one. It was in L.A. But, you know, I read it right away, I still have the emails. And you know, the publicist was like, or not the publicist, my photographer was like, oh, my God, this kid is like, yeah. got his head in the clouds already. Right. What's it going to be like when he gets bigger? And of course, he's never stopped getting bigger. So, and the head is still in the clouds <laughs> to some well, extent. Well, I, you know, I personally, actually, on my blog, the Randy Report, there's a part of me that I kind of boycott him a little bit because I disapprove of his bad behavior so much. And you know, I'm not going to come out and campaign against someone, but right, I'll just right. not write about them because that that's the only thing in my head that I'm just like I'm just not going to put anything out there not that anyone cares about whether I'm covering him or not right but I just but can't he does, contribute he to does it. get beaten up too like and I and one thing I learned also when I was at that magazine is like you when you work with people directly you have a certain impression of them mm-hmm. but then regardless of that unless you're like super tight with them regardless of that once they become famous you have like a whole different impression that's based on the fame and you, you can have like a negative, like I didn't like, I, I didn't like Britney Spears. I was like, oh, I just can't stand her music. Mm-hmm. She's just, I don't get it. Like why do people like her? Mm-hmm. And yet then I'd remind myself, well, I have met her and she was really nice, you know? Mm-hmm. So why am I so, you know, why am I so annoyed by this? You know, why am I annoyed by this person? Or I'd make a comment about Miley or someone and then realize, yeah, but they're actually really nice in person. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is like a very, it is a divide and, and I think that the more famous they get, the more, the easier it is to, to totally love or totally hate someone. And we have to kind of watch that. Gets a little crazy. And that's part of what, you know, I did, I think that's part of what I'm capturing when I did the Madonna book, Encyclopedia Madonna, because it functions as a fan book, and, you know, an unironic fan book and an assessment of her career and her personality. But it is also a little like, supposed to be like a little bit of a pop art experiment of like look how ridiculous this is <laughs> that we know all this information like part of what makes it funny is like is not just you know me trying to write something funny but just the fact that i was able to gather all that information is kind of hilarious just in and of itself well speaking of madonna let's talk about that because i there's there's no way we can talk to you without talking about anyone who goes to boyculture.com there's always a daily reason to talk about <laughs> Queen of Pop. And I adore right. her too, so you know, I do. I, I really adore her. And I've said for years, I, I am kind of in awe of her in part. I, 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 there's no uh, denying her talent, but, but more so for me, I've always been in awe of the fact that she is an inch or a minute ahead of the rest of the world when it comes to pop culture. If it's not cool when she does it, she makes it cool. It is the cool thing to do. I've never seen anyone who had their thumb on the pulse of pop culture more than Madonna. And she loves that. I mean, and she actually is very involved in it. And there's a lot of huge stars that aren't really engaged anymore, and they just kind of go along with, what what does the public want from me? Right. And she's much more thinking, okay, what do they want from me? And what would it be like if I did the polar opposite? And then what's going on in, in this subculture over here and what's happening in this trend 
and how can I, you know, take this and make it my own and add to it. Like, she's still very engaged. So anyone who's hoping she'll die or retire, I think they're in for, they're in for some sad days ahead because she seems to be ready to just keep going and going. Oh, yeah. Let's go back to the very beginning, a very good place to start. What was it about Madonna that captured you from so beginning? Because anyone who reads Boy Culture knows that, that you're this huge fan, that you've written two books about her. Do you remember when it was exactly, or was it just merely being a fan? You just went, wow, I really like this. Well, it started out, I mean, I remember very clearly the first time I ever heard her music was I was driving back from a Dungeons and Dragons game, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and I heard her on the radio. And I love the music. I remember I associated the song with Shannon, had a song called Let the Music Play around that time. I just liked the sound of the song, which was Holiday. I hadn't heard the previous stuff. I, so I really started liking her music. And then probably around the time when Like a Virgin was kicking into high gear, I really liked the fact that she used this allegedly dirty word in a song. That was that really... I liked the idea. See, I fancied myself as being a provocateur, even though I totally wasn't. I was such a total... In, in high school, just a very kind of the nerdy guy who was kind of studious and square. Like, no one thought of me as provocative, but I liked provocative things, and I liked provocative literature, and I liked all that. And I love the fact that she was, you know, right out in pop culture and the mainstream doing this. Uh, and it just built from there. And it probably what really, I mean, probably boils down to um, initially I was probably living through her sexually because I was this closeted gay kid, and there was no way to express myself. Uh, although I was expressing myself very handily by the time that song came out. Um, but back then, you know, there was no there was no outlet, and you kind of you kind of lived through her in a way. And I'm sure that happens with most people when they have their idols. You live through them to some extent, right. and then you get to a point where you either live through them forever, or you kind of just appreciate them forever for some other reason, or you grow out of them. But that's what it was. I think there was like that combination of being provoking people on issues that were so stupid anyway like like why should it be why should it have been such a big deal to use the word virgin why should that have been an awkward word to use you know why should sex be so verboten in everything that we talk about why why can't you use the word condom on television like there were so many things that just didn't make sense that she would always kind of tweak uh so i like that i think that's what made me loyal to her forever just knowing that she's she's that kind of girl i also really liked and related to the fact that you know she had all these kind of gay people around her, even then you knew that she had a gay roommate who died of AIDS and that she had a gay mentor and her brother was gay. I really liked that because there weren't a lot of people in, who were openly you know, advocating for um, gay issues back then, especially people who, don't forget, she was a teen idol at that point. She was right. in like Tiger Beat. I appreciated that and was loyal to her that. And then I think the thing that really kind of makes her stand the test of time is that she's someone who communicates with her audience um, kind of intellectually by using other things that we'll, that we, we will also relate to. Like she, she uses art, other mu- musical sources, movies, mm-hmm. all these things that she refers to in her work, she kind of communicates to us by using them. And I think that's a really smart, you know, there's a very smart kind of progression in her work mm-hmm. and it's very consistent. It doesn't feel like, okay, here's another song. It just feels like there's, a, there's kind of a chronology that you're following of, of things that are interesting to her and things that are interesting to many or if not most of her fans. It's important to know like where she's getting these things, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like like when she when she was in you know her Vogue video when she has these this kind of horsed um, image and it comes to life, it's important to know where that comes from. You're not supposed to she's not supposed to be like stealing it 
and hoping you don't notice. It's important to know where that comes from. So I think it makes her much more um, interactive as a, as a pop star. So those, I think all those different things. And, and the fact that there's a whole list of things is important, too. Because, I mean, there were a lot of other stars I liked around the same time. And I probably liked Cindy Lauper first. And then, you know, all the others, all the typical 80s stars. And I also liked, at the same time, I was really getting into, like, Marilyn Monroe and stars that my mom was into. But she's the one that stuck with me because she was kind of my era. She talked my language. One of the things you talked about in the book that I uh, and I made a note of it because I had to stop. I, I'll admit it was hard for me to take notes reading your book because I really got engrossed into it. I really did. I related to so much of it growing up in Michigan, so much of it. And then I go, "Ooh, Randy, take notes, take notes, write that down because you're going to want to ask about that." During a, a chapter, you wrote about Ema Sumac, who I adore. Yes. You you made a point of talking about the fact that whether it was Marlena. Dietrich, or whether it's Peggy Lee, Marilyn Monroe, things that gay men were supposed to like or stereotypically like. And mm-hmm. you, you finally wrote, um, and it was on page 174, just so you know, I really read the book. Um, uh, so what if every gay man loves Marilyn Monroe and Marlena Dietrich and other divas? We all love Dick too, and that doesn't make you cooler to avoid that either. <laughs> of all things for me to pull out of the book, the reason I love that though, and I'll tell you why I bring it up, is there is this thing in the gay community, you're almost cooler if you can poo-poo things. Oh, that's right. so obvious. Like the obvious, we don't want the obvious, but, but sometimes the obviously talented, like a Barbara Streisand or a Madonna. Or, I just love that you, you wrote that down because that is a thing in the gay community, don't you think? Like, it oh, is. I'm cool I mean, because it I can totally is. It, it, it's definitely something that I think it's in the larger culture too, but it's more annoying to me when it's in the gay community because there's an identity involved, you know, there too. It's like it becomes more personal when people feel that they're cooler if they don't like something that they feel is being foisted on them. And I just feel like, well, maybe it's just your own mm-hmm. your own kind of lack of, of ego that you can't accept the fact that some people like this stuff. You know, it's, it's who cares? I mean, I don't, I don't, I never find it, you know, I think people who react really negatively to stereotypes I'm suspicious of their motives. And <laughs> one thing I know, Joe, we talked about Joe Jervis earlier. He has a, a post he, he puts up every year uh, for gay pride that I couldn't, right. I couldn't put it any better. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I couldn't put it any better than that puts it. It's like you want to distance yourself a little too much. Like, like you need to examine why you're so against this, why it's so threatening to you that you don't like something that maybe a lot of other people in your group like it's not it's not honestly it's not a campaign to make you like it so yeah it it is i think that's an important i think it's an important point to make i really like and and i've and i've gone out of my way to like you know i think it's pretentious you know to it's highfalutin you know to to make it seem like it's lesser if you like something everybody else likes And, and i've always liked mass culture and you know a lot of things that are considered high culture now were were pop culture at one point uh, and everything that's pop culture now will probably be considered high culture in, in the future. It's hard to imagine Katy Perry as the next Mozart, but I'm just saying, you never know. <laughs> you never know. Well, you know, uh, I think anything that's yeah. popular doesn't isn't necessarily something that's not worthy. You know, right. like high, art doesn't. It, if it's art, it's art, and you should you should decide if you think it's good art or bad art. But don't don't assume that just because it's popular, it's it's less important. Actually, you commented recently, and I, I love this that you did online because we had an exchange about my history as an actor on Broadway, and then now as a choreographer. And you didn't have any idea that I'd been involved in the theater, 
And I recently did a production of Hello Dolly in Florida, and that's where like we kind of talked about that a little on, online. A lot for me that resonates from my blog is that I have this background in, in theater, and, and, so, and also that I know so many people in theater, not in a name-dropping way, but literally these are friends of mine. And so I, I love uh, presenting them. I love sharing them. I love putting them out there. So anytime Billy Porter or Jerry Mitchell or any of these openly gay artists that are doing things on Broadway, I share it because I really want to present that and blah, blah, blah. And every now and then, you know, I can get a little pushback from some people saying, oh, but that's so square. That's so obvious. Or that's so this or that's so... And I'm like, it's so well, gay. It's so gay. It's so like gay. And I'm like, theater. but I'm gay and I like it. Right. It's like, it's okay. I do like it. And I'm kind of smart, you know, and I think this is worthy. So it is interesting that you, you do get that it's so gay comment. From gays. Judgment. Yeah, from gays. It's so ridiculous. I don't yeah. know if I would go so far as to call it, you know, self-loathing. I know a lot of people love to say it's, it's internalized homophobia and whatever. I don't know if it's quite that, but it's, it's some kind of weird desire to be unique. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's in, 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 in being that defensive about it, it kind of says to me, well, you kind of suspect that you're not that unique. Right. And I've never had that problem. Like I've always had yes. <laughs> like I've always felt like whenever I heard like in church, like that being gay was wrong. I, my thought wasn't, Oh no, you know, am I wrong? My, 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 my overriding thought was, well, he must be wrong. Then obviously, cause I'm not, there's nothing bad about me. Right. So I've never really had that problem. But I think it also, it's, funnily enough, it's kind of connected to how so many people are conspiracy theorists these days. I, I feel like the desire to be unique and, and say, oh, I don't believe what the mainstream media is telling right. me. This is not right. true. Like there's that same desire of like, well, I'm not, I'm not dumb like you. I'm, I'm unique. I'm better. I'm special. So I'm not following the crowd negatively. or, you know. Yeah, I'm not a sheep. Yeah, I'm not one of the it. sheep. It's like, oh, the gay sheep. Well, maybe we all like it because it's good. Yeah, maybe we do. And maybe we believe stuff because it's true. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. Sometimes um, the most obvious answer is the correct one. Exactly. And sometimes the gayest answer is the best one. <laughs> <laughs> I love you for that. Uh, you know, the great thing about this book is you are very honest in, in some – well, the, in the entire book is all about being honest. Like you, you talk about – some plastic surgery you had and, and whether you liked it or not. And where you originally thought you would never do that, then you, you did have some things done. And your experience with it. I've thought about the same never thing, the by face. the way. Never the face. Never, sure the, face. never the face. Never the face. I've got this going The face has never been me. touched. Yes, God bless you. I, so and, all the people who say I've had Botox, thank you, but no thank you. Here's the thing uh, that kidding. I've got to tell you about this book. And, <sighs> and, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I kind of had to walk away a few times, especially – you spend a lot of time on your childhood. I think a lot of people buying this book because of the title, Starfucker. I did expect it. I'll be honest. I did expect it, and you might have heard this already. It would be more dishing about celebrities you'd talk to and wanting mm. to be up against celebrities. And you spend a good almost third or first half of the book just talking about your growing up, your childhood, your college years that has nothing to do with celebrity and blah, blah, blah. Um, which yeah, isn't a I, bad thing. You know, I, I did get that. And I kind of, I think I was kind of going for like, um, But it's a memoir. How, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What, you, what were you saying? It's a memoir. So I don't, I don't, I don't ding you for it at all. Oh, no, of course. No, I, I just think I, I kind of also wanted to relate <clears throat> how, how we see, not just how I see, but how we see celebrity, especially when we're, when we're growing up and how it has an impact later on. So mm-hmm. I was kind of, I was kind of going for like, sometimes it was tangentially related to celebrity, but there was always supposed to always be a little bit of a thread there. Um, and as far as like dishing, I, I definitely, 
I get that. I mean, and I do have some dishing in there, but I, I, there's a couple things about that. One is the period of my life where I was kind of interacting with people whose names anyone cares about is, is very limited. So it would have been, it would have, and it's also that a lot of them were young at the time. So yes, I've met a lot of these people that are driving, you know, the, the Us Weekly and, and Extra and everything of today. But I met them when they were kids, so I don't have a lot of dish. You know, like I don't have the best kind of dish. If you knew Zach Efron when he was 18, I'm sure if I'd known him when he was like throughout his 20s, there'd be a lot more stuff to say. But the other thing is, I even though I can I can definitely be a bitchy person, and get me in person, and I'm definitely I'll say whatever. But I do kind of draw back from hurting people's feelings, mm-hmm. you know, publicly. I, I'll go after someone on their um, for their beliefs if I don't like what's going on and I'll criticize a play uh, within reason, but that kind of thing. But I, I get, I, I do kind of have, I draw back from being too relentlessly bitchy or, or, or even just hurting someone's feelings. And that's something I'm sensitive to. Like when I was writing the book, the hardest thing for me writing Starfucker was I wanted to tell things honestly that happened, but then I would think, Oh my gosh, is this person going to be annoyed? You know, are they going to remember it differently? Because that happened a lot. Like I went back oh, and checked yeah. things. Or, or are they just going to even object to my honest remembrance of, of them? Like my description of them? Like mm-hmm. there's just so many. You, you can't even, you can't really describe almost anything honestly and expect people to all say, oh, that's great. I totally, I totally oh, agree. That's God, what no. I remember too. Yeah, God, no. <laughs> so I had to, I had, so that's another reason why I kind of withdrew. Although I was thinking I could also maybe do a quick book on um all the team stars and just do a little one-liner on all of them. Yeah, you literally could. I know you could. Because <laughs> those twenty, those twenty-somethings would would live for that. Like you know, finding out like what was Demi Lovato like. Oh yeah. Oh, I need yeah. to hear what Demi Lovato was like at a photo shoot. <laughs> well, you know, but adult older people would be like, who cares? It was interesting to me because when I was reading the I, and the reason I mentioned I had to walk away sometimes is you literally struck a chord for me as a gay man myself growing up in Texas and then moving to New York. There were a lot of things that you hit on that I just went. I completely relate to that, and I kind of wasn't ready to read that right now, so I'm mm. going to like walk away from my computer for a second, because mm. I related to so much that you talked about being a gay man, being a gay man dealing with your family, dealing with, uh, I'm talking about the first third of the book, really, and yeah. you dealing with, at school, coming out, friends, I do love that you get a, a little open about friends becoming more than friends with benefits or something, uh, but... <laughs> which I loved. That was the thing that surprised me about the book more than anything was I, I really thought the whole thing was going to be kind of like a a gossipy thing, and it's not glitzy. at all. You know, um, yeah, it's not all glitz and glitz and glamour. <laughs> no, somehow it's not. It's not. I I did love. I I have to touch real quick on one other thing about the Teen Magazine because you mentioned about your first cover. Your your first issue was 90 Degrees on the cover. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. You were doing your first photo shoot and Jeff Timmons said, you know, we really don't do stuff with our shirts off. And then the idea, eventually, as you well know, he, he was actually the first uh, celebrity guest host at Chippendales. At Chippendales, of course. And then and, he went off and did his own and thing. And then he went off and did his own thing, which unfortunately he kind of did Denigrating Chippendales, which I, I didn't, I don't give him much credit for that. I will say I like Jeff a lot. Um, he and I are friends, but he kind of gave interviews after the fact, after Chippendales kind of put him on the map with this stuff, and then he went off and kind said, of like, you know, "Oh, this is better than." Kind well, of he thing, said, right? "Well, I had ideas, and they didn't want to be contemporary, so I decided to do my." He was he was a little <laughs> negative, and I thought, well, you might want to be a little more graceful than that. 
And then, it, you know, the men of the strip thing kind of never really happened. It was going to be the show on the strip of the Las Vegas Strip. And other than a kind of a free performance they did at Mandalay Bay for the TV well, show. Well, there were men who stripped, yeah. but they didn't actually they take place on the strip. Yeah, well and, well, and the production was never really like a show on the strip. But, right. but I, I, I love that you mentioned that because it was funny that, that he starts out his career with 90 Degrees. We don't usually do this stuff with our shirts off. And then he not only became kind of an honorary Chippendale, but he ended up creating his own strip show and everything. So I know. I, I never would have guessed that because it's – and I love him too. I mean, I'm, he's, I'm good he's a friends. Great guy. I, mean, I would say I'm friendly with him too. But it's, it, it, I think I maybe went out of my way to mention that because I just find it so funny that like one major part of my job, like when I worked at that magazine, was trying to figure out like what we could put in the magazine that we could get away with because mm-hmm. the girls all wanted wanted the guys they liked with their shirts off, right. and they did. N- no publicist wants their client with their shirt off because really? it seems trashy. Like, especially when they're in a teen magazine because they feel like it's trashy and tacky. But, of course, it's super high class and amazing once it's like Vanity Fair. And then they'll right. take it all off. Thank so you. They'll take it all off and hold their dick in their hand. Right. You know, but... So it was always like this thing of like, really, can't we do like a little cute thing you know, on the beach? You know, so it was always like this struggle trying to get the good stuff. I remember like one of the guys from O-Town, that was another thing. Like they always wanted Ashley Parker Angel, this blonde guy from O-Town. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a struggle. And then, then you'd get one and it'd be like such a big deal. And then years later, he's now on Instagram like Constantly shirtless. I follow him on Instagram. He's constantly It's just so shirtless. funny. So I find it so ironic that these things change like that. And, and it's, what was even funnier was like just 20 years before – you know, before my tenure in, in the teen world, mm-hmm. if you look back at those Tiger Bee magazines, oh, <laughs> I don't know. My God. Some of those might have needed to be investigated because <laughs> I would never, I would never, maybe that's where the impression came from that they were worried about. I never would have gone that far, but it is funny that if you go further back in time, 40 years ago, the teen magazines were incredibly salacious compared to today. Like they were, in, first of all, it was insane that, that the teen idols, so many of them were like middle-aged oh, men David or like Cassidy guys in their 30s. Or- yeah, and and then you'd see so much of their bodies. Yeah. It was a little weird. So did it surprise uh, you when you were doing the teen magazine that like this was kind of out of bounds? Like people didn't want that, or you? Yeah, you, it you was. Knew. It was. Yeah. It seemed obvious to me that that's, that we all knew that this is what was going to be good. But and, I think yeah. it was a function of the fact that teen magazines were no longer driving um, the culture the way they were in the seventies. In the seventies, they had so much power they could make you do whatever they. Mm. wanted they'd be like ah. you're going to come into the office and take off your shirt we're going to put you up against the wall and take pictures that's happening mm-hmm. you know whereas in the 90s it was much more of a courtship and trying to get you know whatever you could get you know that was you know forthcoming about their love life or what girls they liked or uh whether it was them on the beach with a shirt off you know like it was always much more of a negotiation because the magazines were so important but they were not making stars like in the 70s you could make yeah a temporary star yeah. A temporary, very lucrative for a time star. By the 90s, no. You weren't, 90s and early 2000s, you weren't making a star. You were helpful. You were helping them along. But they needed to have other, they needed to have a record company behind them. They needed to have a TV show. It was a big deal. And nowadays, I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know. I mean, it's great to be in a teen magazine, but I just don't think it's, it's, it's just not the same. It's not the same as the 60s and 70s. If you look at the circulations, we're just like astronomical. Yeah. In the '60s, even especially like Teen Magazine and those those titles, it's, it's kind of like the same comparison to you know, TV networks. You know, like back when we were young, mm-hmm. there was such a limited. You know, like what thirteen channels? You know, so yeah. 
whatever was on TV, if NBC, it made it that NBC, far, CBS. That was it. everyone saw it. Yeah. Like, everyone was either seeing it or, you know, even failed programs back in the 80s probably had way more viewers than right. some of the right. shows that are considered successful today. Yeah. So that, that was the same funny? way with, with magazines. I mean, they had million circulation. Like, back to, around the time when, like, Back to the Future was hitting and, and things like that in the 80s, these, these magazines were selling, you know, sometimes they would sell a million copies. Wow. And nowadays, I mean, there's just, it wouldn't even be a fraction of that. So it was a fun time. It was a really fun time to be involved with that. I got to be involved with it. In the same way, I also got to be involved with the porn magazine um, <laughs> industry as it was dying out. I mean, that died out a lot faster and it's basically dead now. But it was fun to be a part of it because you got to deal with a lot of complex personalities. And they were the same. I mean, really, the porn magazine and the teen magazine You mentioned industry, that in the book. Yeah, and it's true because I, I just I, I realized it right away because it, well, for one thing, I was working for a porn company while I was doing the teen magazine, mm-hmm. which was a constant nightmare. I was so afraid people were going to find out and be offended. Um, but it was the same thing because it was like you know, glossy magazines giving them the same faces over and over again, <laughs> just like repetitious, mm-hmm. hitting them over and over with what they want. You know, it was basically the same sort of industry just for uh, different demographics. I should really let you go, but I have two more questions. One, autograph shows. Go. Oh, my gosh. You just, I, got obs- I love I got that you talk with about autographs. this. Yeah. I got obsessed with these things, and for anyone who doesn't know what they are, they're gatherings of celebrities, uh, depending on if it has a theme. Sometimes it's just kind of general celebrities. Mm-hmm. They all sit around in a huge you know, conference room at, at card tables, and they have a little helper, and you pay them money to get their autograph and or a photo op. And some of them can be hugely, you know, some of them, like, like for example, like Comic-Con is an example of somewhat of an autograph show that's huge and, and legitimate and makes tons of money. And then there's ones that are smaller that they, not that they're not legitimate, but they feel a little sadder because yeah. <laughs> the lines aren't as long, the names aren't as big. But I, I got, I, when I first read about these things, and I just thought, this is crazy, like, why am I, because I think I was inspired when I saw, like, some of the older stars who had been dying off, like Tony Curtis, had just done these shows. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it have been fun to have met Tony Curtis? I mean, get a picture with Tony Curtis? That's crazy. How could I not do this? So I started attending these things in Hollywood, and I went to Chiller Theater, which is like a horror-themed one in New Jersey. And I just, I find them, they were so addictive. I went so many, I spent so much money at these things. I went over and over (laughs) because I thought I was kind of above it, but I also realized as I was getting into it, I was also really very much of it. Like I was very much kind of excited to meet some of these people that I'd grown up, you know, watching. And some of them were very minor actors, but in kind of iconic roles or, you know, mm-hmm. even within your own your own little universe, iconic roles. Um, but I loved it. I loved meeting them. And and it's also, there's also that weird factor of being able to see how other people react to them right. and how they react toward the people. Because, like, sometimes crazy people walk up to them and say, I remember this, I can't remember who it was, but someone walked up to this guy and said, you know, you look the same. You gained a little weight, but you look the same. Oh, my God. You know, and it's like, really? You're going to tell this person they're wow. sitting at a the table? They have to listen to you. And, of course, they're not going to react because they want to get your money. So right. they kind of have to listen to all the crazy babblings. Uh, and, uh. And, but, I mean, it's just like a – talk about if you're into people watching, it is the most voyeuristic experience. It's incredible. I mean, it, it's – and then a lot, of gay, like a lot of gay men go to these things, and I think they're very conservative. I, I, I don't know. I feel like there's a vibe at these conventions. There's kind of a conservative vibe to it. Maybe because the whole like because they're so capital brazenly capitalistic. Yeah. <laughs> but but so they're not as gay as you would think. But the gay guys who go there, they often you know latch on to 
like an old time star that becomes like their gay yeah. who will then sit at the table and take the money for them yes. and make the change and then they end up going to their house and helping them get ready. I mean, it's such a great, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's, it's such a metaphor for gay fandom, you know, it becomes like when you're there helping this like 30s, you know, actress get ready to go out and meet her public. I mean, that's amazing to me. So I, I've been to a bunch of those and I, I think they're a lot of fun. They're not quite as fun as they probably would have been 20 years ago when there were more really, truly big names who are still alive and who are, I mean, some really big, famous people have done these shows and it's kind of, even to this day, Joan Collins does them and I can't, I can't believe more people don't realize. Isn't that amazing? Joan Collins. Well, she had a lot of husbands, so (laughs) maybe that's why. People are always like, they can't need the money. It's like, well, everybody wants money. You can make 10 grand a day at these things. Why wouldn't you go? That's amazing. Isn't that amazing though? I mean, they can. They can. The last question I want to ask, just because you do touch on it, it doesn't get any hits. We've discussed this already. But I do love the fact that you do discuss politics. And, you know, today there was a new poll out uh, from um, CNN. Like Donald Trump is 20 points ahead of his nearest competitor in the GOP mm. race. Because you talk about politics a bit. What What is your take on this? Like, because, you know, I had I actually had friends in Texas. I'm originally from Texas. Friends and friends' sons are emailing me saying, why do you guys pay so much attention to, to Donald Trump because he's just a clown and he's not going to be the nominee? And yet we look at these polls and he's like ahead well, by so much so. I pay attention to anyone that's um, being taken seriously by a large number of people. And there you go. We can't, just because we think he's you know, ridiculous, if a lot of people don't, you've got to like, adjust to that and realize, okay, this is important. This is a huge phenomenon. It's just like what I was saying with just because something's popular doesn't mean it's something you dismissed. You have to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And he has a huge amount of support. I think I personally think a lot of it is from, you know, disgruntled white guys who are racist and who would never admit it. Mm-hmm. And who, if anything, would say that I'm racist for even saying the word racist. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's got a huge amount of support. And, yeah, the polls are a little alarming. I do kind of wonder what would happen as some of these other Republicans drop out, like where their support right. goes. Like as Jeb Bush peels away, does it go to Ted Cruz or does it go to Donald Trump, you know, Marco Rubio? Um, You wonder. I mean, and I was talking to some some pretty high up people in the Democratic Party who know a lot more than I do how these things work. And they were saying to watch out for um, Ted Cruz. Yeah. He was the more threatening possibility. And I I know this is weird. A lot of people would disagree with me. I think I would rather see Hillary Clinton, who's going to be the nominee, like let's Hallelujah. Let's, be, let's yes. just please be, you know, serious. Yeah, let's be honest. Bernie Sanders is awesome. I'd be happy He's to vote great. for him. He's great. Me too. I'm with you. Not going to be the nominee. Uh, nor will he be the vice presidential that, you know, no, election. He won't. But I'm just saying she'll be the nominee, so deal with it. And then as far as Republican, I'd rather see her go up against Cruz cuz I really think Cruz is you know, some people think he's very apparently like a good speaker or whatever. I think he's much more beatable cuz he's just such a to me he's such an obvious ideologue and doesn't have a lot kind of goes along with him right. whereas trump as crazy as he is he's really good at riling people up and he's had you know help from the, the, the tv medium for so long mm-hmm. you can't you can't dismiss that I mean, and there's a lot of people who as crazy as he is there's a huge section of people who aren't really focusing on all that and they don't really take him seriously and they don't like it when people cluck their tongues and and wag their fingers and so he's kind of like oh he's just outspoken so I think there's a large number of people that would probably vote for him, and I'd be I'd be a lot I like my odds a lot better against Ted Cruz myself. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully Trump will go away. I'd love to see him self-destruct. I think he's a terrible man. I've never liked him. I don't understand why anyone finds him, aside from his politics, 
I don't understand why anyone finds his persona appealing. Me either. He's just such an obnoxious person. He's he's basically like a like a caricature of like the greedy fat cat that you'd see like in the 1800s in a newspaper. Okay. Like he's a terrible person who, who like <laughs> has made money on the backs of a lot of the people who now think he's so great. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't get it, but it's important to try to get it because you know he could get the nomination. And I don't think a lot of the Republican elite would be thrilled with that, but they're certainly they're going to vote for him before they vote for Hillary. So. Well, it'll be so. fascinating to see, really, like, if he becomes the nominee, my friends in Texas who are calling him clowns now, will you vote for Donald Trump or will you vote for Hillary Clinton? Someone they hate. You if, know, it's like, someone you hate, but you, you're calling someone a clown. Are you now going to vote for someone who you think is a clown? Well, when I worked for, I worked for this a lovely woman, she was, I consider her my mentor, who was a literary agent in Chicago, mm-hmm. and she was a John Birch Society Republican, even though she also fancied herself somewhat of a um, bohemian, because <laughs> she was kind of a rebel, because she worked, mm-hmm. and, you know, she'd known people who were bisexual, you know, so she was that kind of an interesting character, and she always voted for Republicans, and me, my coworker and I were always like, Jane, you know, what about, I mean, like, Quail is going to be Quail will be one heartbeat away from the presidency. Oh he's so can you imagine? He's he's not qualified. Like how can you possibly vote for Bush if Quail's on the ticket? And she said, "Well, I'm a job training." <laughs> so uh, yeah. I really think yeah. people are, they disassociate from like the reality of it when it's someone who's going to toe the line of what they they believe in or they think they believe in. They're going to vote for whoever that person is. And, you know, I'm sure Democrats are the same way. You're going to vote for most Democrats are going to vote for, you know, the Democrat over the Republican, even if the person is, you know, not to their liking or even if the person is someone who's. I mean, I'm trying to think of it. The last time a Democrat was just so ridiculously bad. I mean, I remember there was I can't remember who it was, but there was a guy in the South who was just a ridiculous candidate. And I can't believe that he'd even gotten to the point where he was on the Democratic ticket, like it was very suspicious whether he was even a Democrat. And he was like, just clearly, a, you know, not someone who's qualified. I'm sure in that case, most Democrats would not vote or would not vote for that person. But mm-hmm. for the most part, if they're, if they're, gonna, if they're out there saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for or against all the stuff you're for and against, people are going to vote for him. So that's what scares me about Trump is that I think he does have that. He does appeal to a large group of people that might want because he Some says kind what of they might want hear. like an anti-Obama vote, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, he says what they want to hear. And wh- a, whether it's good politics or not, he's just saying it. It's almost like he's he's like paid attention and gone. This is what they all want me to say, so I'm going to say it. And cause I consider I him like the I consider him the great white nope because he's like <laughs> he's like the opposite of Obama. He's kind of like a like a, a punishment, yeah, or yeah. or a palate cleanser, you know, for the the white the white guys who love what he's, what he's feeding them. And what, what disturbs me about him is, is and there's so many things, but he's so far right in some of the stuff he's doing that I hate when people compare people to Hitler. It's just so, to me, it's so easy, but he's really getting close to that territory where, where he's like courting Alex Jones and, he, and, and saying how wonderful Alex Jones is. And, and he's always supported this whole birther thing. And I mean, databases he's unapologetic now, we're going to make of people. We're going to make lists I mean, I, of people. Yeah, and I, I think if, if if Hillary makes any kind of a fault, I mean, Hillary has for a year or whatever now been attacked for possibly, you know, using the wrong kind of email system and ex- po- 
possibly exposing it? Like, that's such a nothing right. <laughs> issue compared to him saying, like, we might have to round up Muslims and put right. them in a camp. Like, <laughs> if she just... never said anything, you know, parallel to some of the things he says, she'd be shot at dawn. So I, agree. I don't know how he gets away with it, and it is disturbing. And the entertainment, our entertainment-driven society is, is partly to blame because he's getting a lot more exposure than, you know, Marco Rubio is. But I'm hopeful that he won't be the nominee, and I'm hopeful that he won't be the president. If he's the president, I, I might have to move. I mean, <laughs> when, when someone like that, when you look at the entire field of Republican contenders yeah. and consider one of them might be president, I'm telling you, it makes Mitt Romney look like Gandhi. You're like, yeah. wow. Oh, yeah. Like, really? Mitt Romney suddenly looks like an elder statesman compared to these people, like someone you could really handle as president. Uh, when you look at some of these guys, it, oh. and it just scares me. Like, what's going to be the next slate of, of contenders? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I agree with you completely. I do. I agree. I, I'm exactly on the same page you are. It's kind of frightening. And, you know, even once we step past uh, Trump, we look at Cruz and we look at um, Huckabee. Oh, Huckabee. Well, nothing will happen with him, but he's in there to get his book deal, so that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I tend toward the ones that I hate but that are not so religious. Like, right. like the ones that are religious on top of it makes it even worse. Oh, it like, makes it even worse. And but then that makes me, I don't know, Cruz is just... You know, God bless Cruz John Kasich. You know, it, it, of course, everyone who's a Democrat who pays attention knows that, well, if I had to deal with a Republican, you know, John Kasich is at least a Maybe, moderate. yeah. You Maybe. Know, but, but he's not in the hunt at all, so... No, he's not going to happen, so... No. Well, listen... He, yeah, I know what you mean, though. There, it is a question of, like, which one, if you had a gun to your head... Would you want? What could you deal you know, with? Or know? would you just grab the trigger and pull it? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I could talk to you all afternoon. And yeah, it's just so I fun. Really Thank you I so really, much. You are so smart and you're so charming, and I love the book Starfucker online. Buy it. Go go get it. Go get it. Go get it. Buy it. Buy it, buy. It. If I wasn't being obvious enough yet, um, I really enjoyed it. I loved the writing. I loved the the relationship that I felt to your 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 teenage years, and then all of your years writing and editing and publishing the Teen Magazine and everything since then, and everything on BoyCulture.com. I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the reads. That's why I really want to recommend it to people because I enjoyed reading it. And I, well, I hope people love it. it, and there's a lot there to read because it's like 400 pages. It is so. 430 pages. <laughs> they do get a good value. They get a good value for it. Well, it's kind of embarrassing when my memoir is like twice as long as, you know, a famous person's memoir. <laughs> okay. Well, when I got it on Monday, I'm like, oh, I need a day to read this. Um, excuse me. <laughs> Can we push back? But I really do. I really enjoy the read. I really do. So thank you for that. And everybody – Check out boyculture.com every single day. Thank you so much, Matthew, for having the time to talk to us. I'll talk to you soon. Of course. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. And that's the show for tonight. I want to thank everyone for listening, and I invite you to come back every time for The Rand Report. If you could do me a favor, since I just launched the show, if you're watching online right now in your browser window above the little slideshow, you'll see a little pink button that says follow. If you hit follow, it will let you know the next time I have a new show, and you can follow me all over Blog Talk Radio. Also, remember you can find me online every single day blogging about pop culture, entertainment, and politics at therandyreport.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Let's have a little bit more of Capital City's holiday. And remember, everyone, be nice to each other, because if you don't, someone might hit you.